Well, good afternoon. And hope you had a good lunch. And I gathered from talking to a few people that uh, there was some feeling that we really hadn't said quite enough about karma and intention and so forth. So, if that's the case, we can certainly talk more about that before we go on. Um, one of the one of the things that we didn't talk about is what intention is. And um, so that's worth talking about. And the other thing we didn't do is uh, really use any kind of a, a real examples to illustrate uh, how karma works. So we can do that as well. So we begin with, with the intentions. <clears throat> uh, I have defined intention in the handout as an impulse towards a particular activity, right, towards a particular action that is directed towards a particular goal. And so both the goal and the action that is uh, in, intended to achieve that goal are inherent within the intention. Uh, so an intention is an impulse. Um, intentions are present in, uh, in every moment and they're behind every, every action, mental, verbal, or physical. Every movement of your mind has an intention behind it. And everything you say, and everything you do. Um, the goal Well, let's just use an example, first of all. Example, you feel an itch, and at the same time you feel an itch, you experience the intention to scratch the itch, right? So the scratching is the, is the action, it's the impulse towards a particular action, particular activity. And what is the goal? goals to make the itch go away, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this extends to everything. Uh, when a thought arises in your mind, there's intention, an intention behind it. Pick a thought. Um, the thought arises in your mind that uh, I, I need to go pick up some milk on the way home. And what's the goal? It's to avoid that experience of unhappiness when you go to have your cereal in the morning and there's no milk. Okay. Or, or, or to experience the satisfaction when you uh, have your cup of tea with the milk in it or something like that. That's, there's a goal in there. There may be a there may be a variety of goals, and the action is is specific to that. 
the action is based on a set of beliefs. I mean, uh, in that particular instance, you, uh, you, you, you believe that the store will be open and you'll believe that the store will have milk and you'll believe that when you go in you'll find that you have the money you need and, and uh, all these other kinds of things. <laughs> you have a worldview. And all of your actions, uh, uh, all of the actions that intention drives, they're constructed around your worldview. You have all these things you believe to be the case, therefore this is a sensible course of action to, to achieve that goal. So that's what an intention is. Even your emotions. Somebody says something and you feel uh, annoyance. There, there is a goal behind your mind producing that feeling of annoyance. And there is a belief that producing that feeling is a means to uh, achieving that goal. In the case of annoyance, it's sort of like the itch. Whatever it was that somebody said, you didn't like it. And you want to make the unpleasantness from it go away. And so the, the annoyance creates a state of mind that motivates you to do or something to, about that thing that's annoying. It's like scratching the itch. Does People, oh, pardon me. Go ahead. Does intention Im imply in any way control? It, it implies a belief in control. It's part of your worldview. Because you said you said all, even thoughts even have thoughts. intentions. Even thoughts and emotions have intentions associated with them. And yet. I thought we said earlier that we don't control the, the things that come into consciousness. That's right, we don't. We're going to talk about where these intentions come from. Okay. We didn't talk yeah. about that yet. All right. <laughs> All right. I saw a little puzzlement when I was talking about annoyance. Let's, let's say anger, okay? Somebody says something and you feel anger. There's an intention behind that, and I'm not saying that you know the intention. Mm. You, what you experience is the anger, but there's an intention behind that anger. Uh, oh, lights. Um, and that intention believes that by you becoming angry, you're going to meet, you're, you're going to satisfy the goal. Remember, what, what is the goal of, of, what is the goal of getting angry? This is a really interesting thing to contemplate, contemplate, not just when you get angry, but when anybody gets angry. When you see somebody get angry, they're actually getting angry because they think that angry, that being angry is a way to achieve some kind of satisfaction, to achieve a goal, to get what they want, right? And uh, is that always true? No. No. No, that's not always true. Sometimes getting angry is going to make the whole situation worse. It's not going to... As a matter of fact, very often it's not going to. But why do you get angry? Well, there was a time, there's been some time in the past, a long, long time in the past, when getting angry got what you wanted. And there's a part of your mind 
but does that now. Whenever a certain kind of situation arises, it says, oh, it's time to get angry in order to get what we want. That's the intention behind it. So some of the, you're conscious of some of your intentions, and you're not conscious of some of your intentions. Take the itch. You may be conscious of the intention to scratch the itch, or the, you may first become aware of it when you find yourself scratching the itch. You, you may become conscious of becoming angry, but most of the time, the process of, uh, of an intention, it was probably when you were very young that there was something that you wanted to be different than the way that it was, and your mind entertained various possibilities. Should I cry? Should I beg? Should I forget about it? Or should I get angry? And maybe at different times you tried those different things. But if you tried getting angry, and it worked, and you got what you wanted, then the next time something like that happened, then the intention to be angry arose, and you responded by getting angry, and it worked again. Until now, you're not conscious of the intention at all. You just get angry. Is it possible that just like wisdom is accessed and if karma, um, the ripening of karma comes throughout and that also anger and ignorance is accessed as well from past lives, not necessarily one ones? Well, and let's so, just so the, the reaction to be angered doesn't necessarily have to have come from a personal experience? Well, I think that you're going to find, let, let's leave... Let's leave what you're accessing from outside of this. Let's just stick to this life. The Buddha stuck to this life. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we have to. I mean, he, he recommended that we did, but, you know, what does he know? <laughs> <laughs> but let's do that later. Right now, let's stick to this okay. life. The thoughts that arise in your mind tend to arise in your mind because, because they've achieved the end that you that you want in the past. The emotions arise because the, those emotions have brought about the result that you wanted in the past. So they, they become habitual. But there's also all kinds of, there are all kinds of things that arise in your mind, intentions that uh, you're very conscious of them, and you actually make an active decision about, do I follow through on that intention or not? Right? Um, you have any, yes? Sorry, the reason why I brought that was because something's not making sense to me in this, mm -hmm. um, that would have explained. Um, so, we'll stick to this life. I, there are a lot of people who, um, including myself, I was much angrier, not that I'm old now, but when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and, and it just arises, and it's not um, <clears throat> necessarily achieving anything positive, and it can right. be obviously not positive, but it's still arising. That's right. And yeah. so, and so that arising is is not necessarily. That, that's what I'm saying. Didn't, it's not helping. You wish it wouldn't arise, right. but it that's is right. arising. But it so, keeps arising. Yeah. So, so, doesn't seem like that's necessarily coming from. Oh yeah, that did help me then, even subconsciously. And so that's why it's arising so much now. Like different, yeah. different well, people are subconsciously. It is arising because it did help you then. The part of your mind that is making you angry is totally out of touch with the fact that it's not. Bringing about good results at this time. 
That's, that's the problem. So, if, uh, how to approach this? Uh, well, let's, let's, let's just stick with the basics. The idea that any impulse, conscious or unconscious, to a particular course of action is based on the belief that that course of action is going to bring about a desirable result. That make sense to you? Mm -hmm. All right, let's look at the conscious and unconscious aspect of it. Take an, an, an action. A completely new situation arises, and there arises in your mind an intention to do or say a particular thing. But it's the first time in this situation, and it's the first time that intention is there. So there's, there's kind of, it doesn't happen immediately. And you're aware of the intention. And you have the space in which you can decide either to go ahead and do that or not do that. Right? That's the nature of something happening the first time. It comes into consciousness. Consciousness allows the different parts of your mind to evaluate this intention. Intention has actually come from one part of your mind. One part of your mind observe what's unfolding in consciousness, what you see, hear, feel, and so forth, the situation. And it says, it is said, what it presents in consciousness is the intention, which is kind of like saying, why don't we do this about that? And the other parts of your mind have an opportunity to look at that. And you will either you have the opportunity to say, well, no, that's not a good idea. Or, well, maybe, but not quite like that. We'll, 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 do, we'll almost do that, but we'll do it a little bit differently. Or you can say to yourself, good idea, I'm going to do that and see how it works. So that's a conscious intention. Every intention that becomes conscious by the fact that, it's in that it becomes conscious, is available for all the other parts of your mind to look at. And when they look at it, they can either agree with it, disagree with it, or suggest that it be changed. If you go ahead and do it, the only way you go ahead and, and do the action is because enough different parts of your mind all nodded and agreed, yeah, good idea, let's do that. But if you hesitate, it's because there's different parts of your mind that say, well, well, wait a minute, that's not a good idea. If you don't do it at all, it's, it's because, well, probably other parts of your mind have suggested some kind of alternative action. Well, let's do this instead. Or at the very least, let's not do this. Let's not do this, let's block this. Any intention that becomes conscious can be blocked, can be modified, or can be permitted to go ahead. Now, the part of your mind that proposed this intention in the first place, if it gets approved, then not only that, that part of the mind is going to be very much more likely to propose a similar intention in a similar situation in the future, not only that, all the other parts of your mind that have agreed with that, uh, They've, they've now incorporated this idea that, yeah, this is an appropriate way to act in this situation. It's, it is reinforced just by the decision to go ahead with it. 
The reinforcement has already occurred. Now you act. Well, if the results turn out terribly, then all these parts of your mind, you know, the, the, the terrible consequences, you become conscious of them, and all these parts of your mind say, well, wait a minute, next time we might not go along with the same intention. Uh, and they'll remember, and then maybe the next time the tension comes up, that intention comes up, it's not approved. It may be modified, and it may be blocked totally. If it comes up the next time and it's blocked totally, then that reinforces this. We don't do that when this happens. And the part of the mind that original tension came from starts to get the message. We don't do that when this happens. But if when you did the action, the result turned out well and you got exactly what you wanted, next time that situation comes up, the same intention is going to come up even more rapidly. It's probably going to get improved even more rapidly. And you're going to go ahead with the action. And all the different parts of your mind that go along with this have been reinforced in this. We've done this, we've been there, we've tried it, it's a good way to achieve what we want in this situation. It's even more likely to happen next time. Through that kind of repetition, it will become automatic. You will no longer become conscious of the intention. The first time you become conscious of what's going on is you find yourself doing or saying the kind of thing that is driven by this intention. That sound familiar? It's been because of multiple reinforcements happening in consciousness, it's become habitual. They call that habitual karma. And it's not conscious anymore. The intention isn't conscious, but it just keeps on repeating itself. And one thing, because the intention didn't become conscious, then it, it didn't undergo this kind of review and evaluation process. And if now it produces an undesirable result, chances are those parts of the mind that were following the process in, in consciousness in the past aren't following it. They've done their thing and they've gone back to sleep. And they don't know that it doesn't turn out well anymore. And you're in this situation where you say, every time I do the make the same mistake, every time it's the matter with me. <laughs> of course, if you become mindful, then something different happens. You do that thing, and you see yourself doing it, and you see how it makes you feel, and you see the mess that it makes of things. And all of this holding it in consciousness, you might review. If you review, now you recollect what it was that set you off. Well, of course, as soon as you recollect what it was that set you off, the part of your mind that automatically produced the response gets his attention. It's, you know, that's, that's its on light, is it? Oh, yeah. That. So now it's paying attention. It, it, it's paying attention, but now what it's saying is, oh, yeah, we're reviewing what I just did, and it didn't turn out well. That's how mindfulness will help to make you less likely to do the same thing in the future. Because what's happening is, 
in that moment, there arises a new intention. You say, oh, look what a mess I made of things. And to the right parts of your mind are paying attention. And a new intention arises. Oh, I'm not going to do that next time. Well, that new intention is going to be pitted against a much stronger old intention. So you might still do it again. But you'll catch yourself that much more quickly and you'll reinforce this resolve, I'm not going to do that again. And eventually you can overcome. In other words, you make a new karma that counters the old karma. A new intention. Intention, I'm not going to do this. And it begins to counteract the old karma. But it requires mindfulness. If you're not mindful, what you'll do is Every, t every time the same thing happens, you'll produce the same result, and the, the important parts of your mind won't notice how badly things turned out as a result. Uh, how much free choice do we have in making our intentions? Because part of it sounded like you know, when you're conscious of something or when, uh, you're, when some awareness arises, and it's arising, it doesn't sound like a very active process. So is that something that's just happening to us, or how much free choice do we have in cultivating? Well, I don't understand. Can you repeat her, her question for a minute? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I'd have to get her to replay. I, I was already How much free choice? How much free choice do you have? Well, what you call free choice is what happens when something becomes present in consciousness and different parts of your mind have the opportunity to respond to it. Something has become fully automatic, you don't have any free choice about it. But <coughs> consciousness is, that's the place where the different parts of your mind share information. And if you become conscious of an intention, then you do have a choice. There are other parts of your mind. Like, for example, this particular hypothetical action that we're talking about that causes you problems. Let's say that it's uh, it's something that is uh, in uh, uh, that's not in keeping with one of the precepts that you decided that you wanted to follow. And so there's a part of your mind that has already formed an intention that I'm not going to do that kind of thing anymore. If you become conscious of the intention, you, you, have, you have the free choice because when, it, when the intention comes into consciousness, this other part of the mind can, say, can step in and say, no, wait a minute. Of course, whether you do it or not is going to depend on what all the other parts of your mind that are participating in this event have to say about it. Because the end result is going to be the cons consensus of, uh, it's going to be the consensus of the parts of your mind that are involved. But at least when it becomes conscious, these other parts of your mind do have a say. So this other part of your mind that said, you know, I've taken these precepts, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or even that part of your mind that you've been practicing mindfulness and said, gee, this just makes a mess of my life, I'm going to try to stop doing this. It gives it an opportunity to, to do something. And so that gives you free choice. And my point is that even though it's completely automatic when you reflect on it, you still, it's, you still have the opportunity to 
you still have the opportunity to develop a different intention, which the next time it happens can come into play. So, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Well, no, sir. Yeah. I, I read a study about um, uh, habit. Yeah. That when you repeat the same action over and over and over again, that it creates neural pathways in the brain yeah. uh, that make it easy to, you don't have to think about it anymore, they, they just do it. And one of the byproducts of that neural pathway is, is that when you continually do it, it feels right. That's right. Right? And so when you try not to, you know, when you try to make that shift from not doing anything, not doing that same thing, it feels wrong. That's right. And that's, that is the crux of why it is so difficult to make those kinds of changes. That's right. It feels wrong because the thing is that by the time something like that has become established as a strong habit, there's a lot of different parts of your mind that think this is the right thing to do. And they are all going to resist the attempt. You know, when this solitary part of your mind that says, hey, we shouldn't do that anymore, tries to block it, all these other parts are saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, and you feel it's resistant. It doesn't feel right. And, you know, it, it depends on the relative strength of these intentions, whether you succeed in blocking it or whether you don't succeed in blocking it. But you're going to feel the struggle. You're going to feel, you're going to feel the tension. Yeah. Um, I had that problem. Uh, for years I fought with my mother. And then when I started studying Buddhism, I said, I'm not going to fight with her anymore. So I went to her and I said, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And she twi she uh, pushed three times as hard yeah. to make me fight with her. And so I got to the point where I would just get up and leave because I didn't want to do it anymore. But then I fell back into the old habit of fighting with her. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. How can I change this? And then I realized the only way I can change it is just to stay away from her. Yeah. yeah. Well... That's staying away from her is one way of changing it, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes avoiding the situation. That's that's a, you know if you got a drinking problem, stay out of bars. Yeah, right. I mean, sometimes that makes a lot of sense, but it's not the only way. Yeah. The the thing is that you continue to work on yourself until you don't respond in that in that way. And I what if you could get to the point where you no matter what your mother does, you you don't fight with her because of it. I guarantee you there's a lot of other things in your life that are going to change too because there are different reflections of exactly the same pattern that has become established there. So so avoidance is is one way, but it's not the only way of dealing with things. What about in the case of emotions? Like Alicia was saying, uh, when your mind has created the habitual emotions, and you can watch them arise and know that they're not helpful yeah. and sometimes even not really know what, you know, not be aware of any conscious thoughts that are causing the emotions, um, but just the, the, the sensations in your body of that emotion, say anger, may arise and you know that it's not helpful, but um, how do you work with those emotions when... Uh, you know, it's not, you, you don't feel like you had a free choice because it was, that decision was made in the subconscious and it just keeps arising. Yep, that, that, is the, that is the problem, yeah. And the only solution to this is, is mindfulness. Now sometimes, sometimes the solution will manifest while you're in meditation. 
and the root circumstances and the emotions and everything will arise in the peace and quiet of meditation. And you'll get a chance to confront them. But if that doesn't happen, then you have to do it in the world when the things come up. Now, when you're at the point in things where you, you, you react the way you react, and, and there's, there's, there's no room ahead of time to try to intervene or, or say, I'm not going to act that way. You just, the action happens. You still have the opportunity to work with it through mindfulness, but you have to review. You have to take yourself back to the beginning. Because the, when something is that habitual, when that particular neural circuit is so burned in, then it's going to fire, and then it's done its job, and it's not involved in what happens after that. You've got to make it involved. And, uh, and so in the reflection, you've got to do something that triggers triggers that neuro, neural circuit again, triggers that part of your mind to try to respond again, but in a way that it can't just do it automatically and fall asleep, which is what happens when you're reviewing. Right? So it, it, you might, when you think back on what happened, you might feel the same anger arising, but it's not the real situation. So you, what happens is you've got the attention of the part of your mind that's in the habit of it. Now, if at the same time that you're doing that, you're holding in awareness all the misery and problems that this has created, then this part of your mind is being exposed to that in your consciousness. And that is going to, that's going to have two effects. It'll have an immediate effect on that part of your mind in um, weakening the, the level of conditioning that's there. Because now it, it reprograms itself. It's starting to see, whoa, this, is, this isn't producing the kind of result that I wanted, which it hadn't noticed before. But also, at the same time, every other part of your mind that is tuned in to what's happening right now is now going to, it's going to be primed to play a role next time and put the brakes on the process. So. That's great, thank you. So, how does karma. Uh, connect with that meaning. So what happens in this moment is a result of all the karma I've built up until right now. So it's yeah. not it's not necessarily a, a free choice in this moment. That's right. And uh, so I'm trying to put together all the pieces of um, intention and how you know we can bring consciousness, mindfulness, and more free choice and bringing more parts of the mind to it. Uh, so that we can obviously build mm -hmm. karma for a better future. Yeah. Uh, so if we're not choosing what we do in this moment, then how do we do that? You know what I mean? In every moment, in, in, in every moment, there is an opportunity for you to do something different. Except, well, I, I, I suppose if if the if the intention was supported by 100% of your mind, and then, then the only opportunity you have to make a change would be afterwards in, in reflection. But most of the time, it's not 100%. All you've got to do is bring the other parts of your mind into play, and, and then you can accelerate the process of change. 
But either situation, you can still make change. Now, what you experience in the moment is the result of your past karma. Okay, let's take the situation that, you know, uh, is it. Um, you see a spider, and you don't like spiders, and you immediately feel afraid because you see the spider. And now this, this is your past karma. Your past experiences, your past reactions, your past thoughts. Somebody else might not have noticed that spider's there. There's lots of spiders around. If somebody really doesn't like spiders, is much more likely to notice a spider than somebody that doesn't care much one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So it's your karma that makes you notice the spider in the first place. And it's your past karma, your past intentions, the way you've conditioned your mind, that causes you to have this powerful feeling of aversion that arises when you see that spider. Yeah, I don't like spiders. Then comes the intention. I'm going to squish that spider. <laughs> because, you know, it's the, the, the intention is uh, to satisfy this aversion. It, it's, uh, spiders make me feel bad, I'll destroy the spider. Problem solved. What, what, Problem if solved. what if you're squishing it so that somebody else doesn't get hurt by it? Is uh, that a good idea? Let's, let's stick to this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it out of the house. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, exactly. Well, you we can make it more complicated later, but let's just do <laughs> Okay? So, now you're seeing the spider, not liking the spider, having the impulse to squish the spider, that's all your past karma. Um, if, if, the, if when the impulse to squish the spider arises and the rest of your mind agrees, yep, let's get that little thing. You've made some new karma here. That's where you've made the new karma. Got the intention to squish it. All the different parts of my mind that are participating at the moment say, yep, squish that old spider. It's a good thing to do. Let's go for it. You've made some new karma. You're going to be more likely to notice spiders. You're going to be experience more aversion. You're going to be more likely to squish them in the future. For that matter, anything that produces aversion in you in the future, you're more likely to respond by trying to destroy it. Um, for that matter, anything that arouses a sense of dislike in you is likely to produce powerful aversion. You know, the feeling of unpleasantness will now lead to craving in the form of aversion. That's been reinforced. So, what you've done is you've created some new karma. Now, that karma is there. It doesn't matter if when you go to step on the spider, it scuttles under the couch and you can't get out of it. It gets away. You've still created the karma. It doesn't matter that you weren't able to follow through on it. You still created the karma. Or somebody else came and scooped the spider up on a piece of paper and said, let me take this outside. You still created the karma. Yes? I had learned that there were laws. I've learned that there's four laws of karma. You what? <clears throat> I've learned a few things about karma yeah. and know they're right. But one, but, but one of them said that there's the intention, mm -hmm. then there's the carrying it, there's the thought of it, and then intention to do it. So first the thought arises, then, okay, I'm going to do that, then doing it. Then looking back at your action and saying, 
oh, mm -hmm. I really liked that I did that. Like, we're really, we're going to cover all okay, of that. Okay, we are. Okay. We're going to cover all that. That make a karma strong. Yeah. But actually, but the point is, you know, your foot goes smack down on the floor. Whether the spider got away in time is, is not going to, that in itself is not going to have any effect on your karma. But it is a stage in the process. Okay, you didn't stop yourself from doing it. Okay? What happens after that is there is a chance to make yet another karma. You've already made a new karma that's reinforced the old karma. Now, if you squish the spider and you feel really good about it, then that's reinforcing. That's where you start making more new karma. Essentially what you're doing is, is you're formulating an intention which will be acted upon in the future to squish more spiders. Not just to squish more spiders, but to act destructively towards things that uh, create aversion. Uh, in fact, you've reinforced the tendency to feel aversion when something produces uh, unpleasant, the feeling of unpleasantness. So, in that moment, you've made another karma. And it doesn't matter if the spider got away, and then you feel really annoyed that the spider got away, you still made that second karma. doesn't matter saying, boy, I'm proud I got that spider, or saying, oh, darn, I wish I got that spider. Either one, you're making that other, you're making that, that's the second point at which you're making new karma. And separate. But, what? New and separate karma. It, it, it's it's, it's, a, it's new, that's, that's right. Each, each act of intention is a new karma. All of these particular karmas are all centered around the same process. They're centered around spiders, but they're not centered around spiders exclusively. They're centered around a kind of action in response to aversion, and they're centered around producing aversion in response to, to unpleasantness. So all of those things are getting reinforced. That's what they have in common. But each intention is a separate occasion. Doesn't matter. Right? Different different parts of the part of your mind that says, "Oh, we good for us. We got it." May not be the same part of your mind that said, "Let's step on it." Could be just the cheering session. But that part of your mind now is much more strongly imprinted with this idea than it was previously. And so are all the other parts of your mind that looked at it and said, "You see, when you feel good about something, that reinforces it." And so all these other parts of the mind say, oh, yeah, we did that thing, now we feel better, it must be a good thing to do in the future. This karma is stronger. So what if you feel bad about it? Say you have the habit of yeah. like, going like that every time a mosquito is biting you, yeah. right? And every time you go like that, you think, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And you, but you still find yourself doing that every time a mosquito... Okay, that's it, all right. So you see the spider... You think, I'm going to squish that spider, but here's where you am. Maybe you take a precept not to destroy living things. And that part of your mind jumps in and says, wait a minute, let's don't do it. It's not a good thing to do. Now, that part of your mind might get overwhelmed and you smash the spider anyway, and you still feel good about it. But if it doesn't, if, if that part of your mind prevails, and you refrain from squishing the spider. You've made some new karma. But this time, it's a completely different kind of new karma. It's a kind of karma that, it's a countervailing karma, a counteracting karma. And the next, the next time 
a situation that resembles this in any way, spider or not, comes up, you've modified what your automatic responses are to it. Now, this happens just as much, even if it wasn't until after you squished the spider successfully that you realize, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. If you wish you hadn't done it, you're still making the same good karma. So this is where the free will, will comes in. This is where you have the opportunity to make a different karma. And it doesn't matter whether you'd already squished the spider or not. You can still make the good karma. Yeah. And if I'm understanding correctly, what you had previously uh, talked about, not this left karma before that. So if you, if you realize afterwards that you didn't like that particular response, we'll use the spider. Mm -hmm. Then, then in order to make it so that that voice comes up stronger in the beginning, you would go through the whole situation in your mind to bring up those different firing minds that mi that fire when at the different points, right? I see a spider, you think about it, then the aversion mind will come up and you say, I didn't like it, how you responded, and then you get all the minds yeah. in the whole situation to be aware that you're not liking their response. And yes. See, that way you're making a much stronger karma. You're making the same good karma even if you don't do that. Okay. But you're making a much stronger Strong. form of it if you actually review the process and hold it in mindfulness. And if you feel good about not squishing the spider, then it's even better. Um, for me, oftentimes, I think the karma that I have trouble with is things that cause me harm yeah. and, uh, and cause me bad, or not bad, but really challenging emotions, say. And so the reviewing process, I think, involves changing things before the emotions come up. Or, I guess I'm not making any sense. So there's no spider squishing. It's more about trying to figure out how the mind can figure out that having those aversive emotions isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, well, let's use... Say somebody lies to you or does something terrible, I don't know. Like... That's not a good How about this? To see if this works. That you do something and then your reaction is you're really mad at yourself for doing it. Mm -hmm. You're really down on yourself. You're self-critical and you think, oh, what a lousy person I am. I mean, is, is that an okay example? In this case, mm -hmm. in, in this case, the condition, the past karmic reaction is to to react to what you've done in that way. Um, just to make it simple, let's make it whatever you did, um, I don't know how to do it. I, well, I, I don't want what you... The mother and the anger, you know, yeah, I, Okay, good. All right, that, that, yeah. That's good. Okay. So, let's, let's use that as an example. Somebody says something, you, your mother says something, and you always get angry. That, that's a, that is a very good one. <laughs> where the mindfulness, where the mindfulness comes in, is to be mindful of how it makes you feel to be angry. Okay. Now, what happens is if you if you react, you get all caught up in the fight, and the part of your mind that started the fight gone to sleep. It's not there for this, and you feel really miserable afterwards. Mindfulness, what you need to do is recall what your mother said, recall how, how it made you feel, and recall how, and, and at the same time be aware of how you feel now 
Oh, and, and it helps to be aware, probably your mother's real upset too, how upset she is. She may not be, if she isn't, leave her out of it. <laughs> but the thing is, what, what you're going to do is you're going to try to provide a kind of information that results in a different intention to modify what happens in the future. Can you repeat that one more time? You're going to try to... You're going to, you're going to provide the kind of information to your own mind, mm -hmm. by holding this in consciousness, you can provide the kind of information to your own mind mm -hmm. that results in a new intention mm -hmm. which will participate in the process the next time this happens. Mm -hmm. Put in terms of karma, what you're doing is you're making a new karma that will help to counteract the previous karma, the old karma. Well, Thank you. Uh, it sounds like so much of this is predicated on knowing what you're doing. Absolutely. <laughs> mindfulness. Without mindfulness, you cannot intentionally make good karma and you cannot overcome bad karma. So I've got, so I've got one that is bugging me because I can see myself not knowing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. There's a moment sometimes where if I'm like trying to go to sleep and you know sometimes your mind spins and you invent crap or you go through the daily newspaper or something and you get ticked off with oh they ought not to treat those people that way mm -hmm. and 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 you can see yourself get whipping into a froth and and say you know that's not really helping them or you um, it took me a very long time a very long time, I, I could not see, why the hell am I doing this? And I went way down the path of, it, it's very wrong, what you said about providing info that results in a new intention, I kept hunting. Where's the new info? Where's the new info? I well, couldn't well, the, get the until... The important information is that you feel lousy. Well, that was, that's what you think. And then, I finally caught on. There was a piece of me that did it just for the adrenal buzz. Okay, yeah. And when I found that, it was like, oh. And, but that obfuscation, that's what I want to talk to you about. There's so much of what's going on in us that is, we think we got it. Oh, this makes me feel lousy. No, man, you're doing it for the buzz. That's right. And that's where it's, it's important to really understand what your intentions are. Okay, so you, you lie to yourself and say, well, I don't know why I'm doing this. The truth is, I'm doing this because it gives me a buzz. Well, I didn't know that for a long time. Mm -hmm. right. But anger is... So it's not lying. And anger, anger does the same thing. Yeah. You know, anger makes you feel strong. Mm -hmm. Anger makes the self feel more real. So does pain, suffering. If you feel really bad, you, really be, you feel really real. Feeling miserable makes you feel more real. And that can be the goal. That may be why you do things to make yourself feel miserable, is so you'll feel more real. More alive. More alive. That's right. Mm -hmm. so a part of the reason that we get angry is it makes us feel more powerful, more strong. You know, and if you feel relatively powerless, what you'll do is you'll wait until you get home, and then you'll get angry because you'll feel really powerful. <laughs> <laughs> if you take all the all the emotional states, all the 
all that stuff and started to list them. You could probably fill out three books worth. Okay? <laughs> and, and, and instead of trying to deal with each one of them separately, isn't there a way to lump them all together into a big ball and say, every time something comes up, the way to deal with it is not is to do what? And, and wait, wait. And is the premise of lumping them all together into a, a one one um, way of looking at it? Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, and that is what that's what that's the tool the Buddha gave us when he said that anything that is driven by craving and ignorance, you want to change and avoid. And anything that's driven by the opposite is what you want to reinforce. So that's lumping them all together. So that you don't need to analyze everything to pieces. You just have to say, okay, can I learn to recognize intentions that come out of self-centeredness and desire and aversion? And can I dis clearly distinguish them from the ones that come out of different then they don't need to analyze it so much. And you can get you can get really good at recognizing those things. And that and that that will be now one thing you have to understand, like I said, you can't become you, you can't resolve the problem through making good karma alone. It would take forever. You would really have to spend ten thousand lifetimes. But every time every variant of this kind of crap comes up, you'd have to work through it. Make some new karma to counteract that bad karma, and you know it would take forever. And so uh, there is there is consolidation, a simplification. You try to structure your your mindfulness around detecting craving and detecting self-centeredness, and responding to the the presence of that, and to reinforcing their opposites. Not only that. In meditation, in the quiet of meditation, some of the deep roots of these things will come up. And when a deep root of something comes up, you know, for example, aggressive behavior in all kinds of different forms, subtle forms right through, you know, shrieking anger. All these different forms of aggressiveness tend to go back to one or a very few roots. In meditation, that root can come up, and you can deal with the root directly. When you do with that, you've accomplished the same thing in a half an hour of sitting that it would have required a thousand different successful instances of being mindfulness to do in your daily life. Even beyond that, when you have insight, when you have insight into no-self, that is worth an infinite number of times of just catching yourself out of selfishness. When you have insight into the way that craving causes suffering, such that deep insight that changes the way you view things, that is worth an infinite number of instances of catching yourself acting out of desire and aversion. And so that's why meditation, with the particular purification that it brings, and that's why insight, with the profound shift that it brings is so important. Because you so this way you don't have to work through it piecemeal, one little bit at a time, taking forever and ever to do so. But on the other hand, you've got to do everything you can to nail these pieces as they come up. 
the analogy here is it's like a cat claw bush. You want to pull it out by the root, but you cannot pull, you can't even get to the root until you trim away the branches. Right? You gotta trim away the branches first just to get in there. How do you trim the branches? That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been talking about just is trimming, just trimming the branches. Yeah. And keep in mind, you can overcome your karmic tendency to do this and that and the other thing. But if you haven't overcome the the, the delusion and, and the craving that's driving it, it's going to come back again. Maybe in some other form, but it's going to come, it's going to keep coming back again. It's like no matter how many branches you cut off, new ones are going to grow in their place until you get it, get the root out. But you've got to cut off the branches first to get at the root. And also, you can't say, I'm going to cut all the branches off this year, and then next year I'll come back and go after the root, because all the branches will grow back. <laughs> So how do you go after the root? What? How do you go after the root? You go after the root through, through insight. Through, through, through meditation and insight. So what do you do in meditation to get that root out? That's when you, when you, when you have the insight uh, experiences that allow you to realize the truth of no self and impermanence and how suffering is caused by attachment craving. That's when you've taken up the root. As a matter of fact, the first stage of enlightenment, you've only taken out one of the roots, and there's still other, there's other parts there. That's why, that's why there are these different stages of, of awakening. Good. Sorry, I don't want to monopolize. Oh, okay. okay well I, I was just. Oh. Well, what is the role of guilt in this? Of what? Guilt. Guilt. Let me give an example. For example. I act uh, stupidly or aggressively towards somebody, and I realize it wasn't good. So I don't add to the bad karma by telling myself, wow, you did that well. But uh, I realize I didn't do well, that was bad. But then you know, I accumulate some guilt, and as a result, go so far to being aggressive towards myself, which also is not very constructive. Yeah. Okay. So, how do I get out of that cycle? Well, you have to understand guilt is a manifestation of bad karma. Because what you're doing when you're guilty is you're dividing yourself in two so that one half of you can beat the other half up for all the bad things it's done. And that's, that's no different than beating somebody else up for doing something that you don't but, like. But for example, the very first example we had was spider was, you know, even when you killed the spider, but you realized that uh, you shouldn't have done that, yeah. you make the bad karma a bit yeah. less bad. But then well, you, guilt, how, how do you stay on this side of the line and not cross over to <laughs> what, what, you'll, what you'll notice is that guilt doesn't really, guilt is not that effective in making you not do the things that make you feel guilty in the future. Uh, and, and there's an important difference between guilt and remorse. If you step on the spider and you say, oh, I'm a terrible, rotten person, oh, I, I deserve to have somebody squish me just like that spider because I'm so bad and rotten and evil. You know, that's making a whole bunch of bad karma. It's just you're, you're directing it, and when it manifests in the future, it's going to be directed at you. You're going to punish yourself. Remorse 
Remorse is not saying, I'm a bad person. Remorse is saying, that's a bad thing that I did. I don't want to do that again. It makes me feel bad. It makes the poor spider feel bad. It makes the whole world a little bit. It diminishes the whole world. That was a bad thing to do. I don't want to do that thing anymore. That's really, that's not beating yourself up. Implicit in that is the idea that I'm capable of being better. Not, oh, I'm terrible and I'm rotten. But rather that I have the capacity to be better than I am. So remorse is a very different kind of thing. Guilt, every time you feel guilty, you should treat that the way you do. You find yourself engaging in any other bad action. Guilt reifies the self. Guilt makes yourself feel, you know, it doesn't matter where, the, you know, some people say, oh, I'm so great. Other people say, oh, I'm so rotten. But they're both ways of saying, oh, I'm so real. This is a problem. I need to think of the best way to deal with this problem. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And remember, in terms of karma, it's your intention. It's not what you actually do. So, like Nancy raised the thing earlier, what if I want to squish the karma for the benefit of all sentient beings? Okay? If you honestly... Cockroach, not the karma. Right? What's that? The cockroach. I'm saying cockroach because I have a big thing with cockroaches. Let's <laughs> squish the karma. Oh, squish the spider. <laughs> you're going to squish the spider for the benefit of all sentient beings. If you really and tr if that really and truly is while you're doing it, then it's not bad karma. And considering that there are. 29,999 other spiders in your house, then yeah. probably doesn't make that much difference to the rest of the world. Although it could cause a storm in Hong Kong. But you see, it, it's not the action. It's the intention behind it. And if you, out of very, very good intentions, decide the way to deal with the 50 other spiders is to go get the raid, you know, um, then what counts is that, you, that your intention was pure, that it was for the benefit of all beings. Right? And it's not for anybody else to judge that. I mean, somebody else might come along and they might demand you explain it and then they might point, punch holes in all of your thinking that led you to the conclusion that this was a good thing. But that doesn't change the fact that when you did it, you thought it was a good thing. Okay. Um, I want to go back to the fighting with the mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, a popular thing. I can relate to that myself. I'm sorry. I have a real, real problem. So I wouldn't fight back, but then I would be terribly depressed. Yeah, right. Because she was hurtful and you were blah, 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 right? So... On top of that, she would tell me, uh, "You're you're just being nice and whatever, and pretend that you're, you're that you're good to make me feel bad." So on top of that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> being peaceful and whatever it was like, whatever. So uh, then I would be depressed for a few months, 
you know. But then I couldn't abandon her either because then I would get dad and abandon her. So the depression was, you know. Yeah. So but it's, it's not, I know it's a self-destructive thing, yeah. but how do I get to the root of it? Yeah, what was it, just to generalize this so that, so that we're not just dealing with one isolated situation. It is the same pattern. There is an emotional reaction, mm -hmm. and then there's the actions that come out of that, and then there's the ramifications that those actions have. So, you're getting depressed, that's another conditioned response. It's your karma that makes you get depressed, just like it's her karma that makes her fight with her mother. And that's what you have to deal with. And the other thing is that you have to really ask me, your, your mother says, well, the only reason you get depressed is to make me feel bad. That's what's... No, no, no. No, no, no. But the not answering her back, the not being something back, you know, yeah. the, not being just being, oh, okay, being nice. I'll take it. Yeah. But I'm not going to fight back because I don't want to be one-on-one -on -one with you. Right. never answered her back, never insulted her, you know. Oh, and she says that's what you're doing to make her feel bad. Okay. It's not All right. So you have to look at that and ask yourself the question, is it right? Is it true? Because that is called passive-aggressive. It is, but then what do you do? Fight well, He's not going to make it well, the important thing is what you do is you apply mindfulness to this entire process. The thing is that if you get depressed in reaction to your mother, how is that, how is that serving you? And how is it harming you? There may be some ways it's serving you. There may be some ways it's harming you. But it is definitely a, a karma. <coughs> it, it's, an, it's not a conscious, it's a, it's a habitual karma. Getting depressed is a habitual karma. You have to get to the root of it. Why, why does your mind respond to your mother by making you depressed? What, what is the goal that... Uh, that's meant to achieve, and is it achieving it or not? And, and, and does the part of your mind that invokes that reaction know whether it's achieving it or not? If it is, I mean, it could be. It, let's not rule out the possibility that you getting depressed is actually satisfying some kind of need that you have. But it's obviously not a healthy need. If you can get in touch with it, and if the unhealthiness of it can become apparent through mindfulness, then what will happen, not through you doing anything, but through the part of your mind that keeps inducing this particular reaction, is that, that won't, that's going to become less likely to happen. It's not going to happen as strongly. The depression is not as deep. It won't last as long. And the same thing with the, with the, with the withdrawal, the you know, the, the things that, uh, the other things that you talked about. Uh, you, you have to understand what is the real intention behind that? What is the goal that this particular thing is intended to achieve? And is it achieving it or not? And is it good or not? And is it is it uh, rooted in something wholesome or something unwholesome? But just the way you describe it, you already know the answer. It's not rooted in anything good. But you have to get to the root of it. What you actually do about it, I could speculate, somebody else could speculate as to what would be an alternative course of action. 
but really you have to find an alternative course of action, and you have to understand yourself because this it's it's through it's through looking more deeply at what's really going on and understanding yourself that you're going to come you're you're going to become aware of what are the best ways to change your behavior. But some of the things that you can do most immediately is to any degree that your mind gives you the space to do that is to hold thoughts about your mother of loving kindness and compassion. The degree that you can feel compassion for your mother is going to benefit you and it's going to change these reactions. Because I don't think either your either your depression or the withdrawal that annoys your mother so much are coming from compassion. But if it did come, but whatever does come from compassion is going to be wholesome and good. Anything that comes from loving kindness, generosity, compassion, patience, it's going to be good. And so to the degree that you can invoke any of those things, you're going to be making some really good karma that is going to help in dealing with the habitual bad karma that you're experiencing. It's the same for the spider. What's that? Same for the spider. Same for the spider. Yeah, same for the spider. And in any situation, and that that's really, it is fairly simple, and it's as simple as that. Acts motivated by unselfishness, harmlessness, generosity, loving kindness, etc. We can expand the list. These are all making good karma. When you find yourself making bad karma, even if you can't get to the root of it, you can still make good karma. You find yourself getting angry at somebody? Invoke patience and understanding. Same thing towards yourself. If you find yourself feeling guilty or beating yourself up about something, have compassion for yourself. Love yourself. Have patience and understanding. Forgive yourself. Remind yourself that, you know, I am what I am. I can't, I, I can't help that. But I can't change. Okay. So, for the last few years, I always catch those big cockroaches when I find them, and I remove them from my house, mm -hmm. and I still have a terrible aversion feeling. But in five years, I won't, right? I'll just see one, and I'll be like, hi, friend. <laughs> well, um, it depends on what you're doing inside with the aversion that that you feel. But yeah, and it, it was cockroaches that you said. For me, it's cockroaches. Yeah, cockroaches so yeah. I use your analogy with my own thing. Co know? Cockroaches. And I live in an old house, and there's quite a lot of cockroaches are, un are are unpleasant creatures to live with. Yeah. Even people that love cockroaches keep them in containers. Okay. There's a certain inherent unpleasantness of living with cockroaches, not to mention the fact that they're highly unsanitary. The big ones are mulchy, guys. Like, mine are coming from <laughs> outside. So that's why, like, I've tried to reason with myself, you can really, yeah, you know, right. get a, a person in to take care of them because they're not sanitary. But actually, these are mulchy guys. They probably are yeah. sanitary. It's like... Okay. So. But anyway, there are, there, are, there, are, there are reasons why... To experience a feeling of unpleasantness in association with cockroaches, that might never go away. And that's all right. But you don't need to have a feeling of aversion 
The feeling of unpleasantness doesn't need to result in aversion. Seeing that the unpleasantness yeah. is coming from the cockroach towards me. That's right. That's if the aversion. Can, that's the aversion. So I would see it's coming from, right. Yeah. So. Emotionally, like yeah. deeply. When the aversion goes away, you'll still pick up the cockroaches and take them outside, but it'll be, it won't be an emotional experience. <laughs> yeah. are the, uh, the, there will be uh, the, the feeling of unpleasantness that arises from seeing that yet another cockroach has got into your house and then the feeling of pleasantness you have as you deposit it outside in the garden I do have that Yeah. but there so. were a lot in the garden so I can't sit there <laughs> <laughs> you may have to take a part <laughs> you guys own that? my daughter picked up a cockroach, one of those big palmetto yeah, mushrooms, and she goes, Mom, I want it as a pet. And I said, it's not coming in the house. It's not coming in the house. <laughs> that's and like, she doesn't trying to she explain to her, it can't come in the house. But, so she yeah, kept it in a box outside. Let's go on, because we're, we're running out of time. So I, I just want to proceed. This is not about, I like my mom. We're doing great. So this, most of this discussion is about, about the conversation, the discussion is about um, being mindful of your conversations between your minds, and most of it has to do with the origins of right intention. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. Okay, good. And Tim, two comments ago, Tim made a comment about when people say they use it feels right as their intention, mm -hmm. that throws up red flags for me because it seems when someone says it feels right and that justifies them as the right intention, mm. that does that's a meaning that's to me is a meaningless. Maybe I thought what him was saying is sometimes when e even though something is, is wrong, it feels right and it doesn't feel right when you try to stop yourself from doing it. That's, That's right. And, and, then, and a lot of times people you'll yeah. help people say, Oh, I'm gonna do this because it feels oh, okay. right. Yeah. Yeah, and that is not a criteria to go by. It okay. feels right is not a criteria okay, to good. go I wouldn't have that justified because That's right. Yeah. Really Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and yeah, Tim, Tim wasn't meaning to suggest that. And, yeah, no, I know he wasn't, but I, I yeah. thought it was... But right, it is. Okay. Yes, there are those people who would say, if it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it must be right. You know? Your politicians say this all the time, it felt right, so I did this. Yeah. It came from my heart, it felt right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there they are, and, and it sounds, it's like a self-verifying yeah, right. truth. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. okay. But it could be it's true. like picking your meditation. It should be true, yeah. but yeah. But they need to have. They need to say more than it feels right. And a lot of people actually go from what they say feels right, but what they feel right, as Tim was pointing out, comes from a neural pathway that was that was stimulated by something that you know. That's right. Yeah. It's not very mindful. That it feels right means nothing except that it feels right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is right. It's, it's like picking your meditation practice by which one feels right. Yeah. Right. It's just as dangerous. Just as dangerous. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and until you've examined the source of the feeling. Right. <laughs> okay. By the way, you said something before. It was a slip of the tongue. I mean, everybody was saying, well, that's not what you meant. But I think that what you said was right on. Squishing the karma. Squish the karma, not the spider. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, which is an interesting thing. You you can develop aversion to bad karma, which is not altogether a bad thing. You know, it's like 
it's like lust for enlightenment. <laughs> you can have a version of making bad karma and you can have lust for enlightenment. They're both imperfect approaches, but at least they're moving in the right direction and you can, you can, drop, you can drop the unsavory parts as you make some progress. You have to start where you are. And, uh, and where you are right now is you're, you're driven by desire and aversion. So at least be selective about your desires and your aversions. <laughs> <laughs> the impression with mom did push me to but, towards uh, the spiritual life, <laughs> yeah, um, meditation, mm-hmm. following a guru. <laughs> 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 Do, do we feel karma doubt? <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Should, we, should we take a little break? No, no but uh, I think we should at least have a break. And, and we might say, we might at least talk a little bit about the links of dependent origination. Yes. I think you'll find some of this relevant to what we've just been talking about. Too. Yes. Yes. So let's take ourselves a 15 minute break.